You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, which is very important. And then quickly from the book of Romans, chapter 4, what shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. How many ungodly do I have in the house? That was confusing. It's fine. His faith is counted as righteousness. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be their heir, the heirs. Faith is null and void, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. And we will stop there. And now the moment you've all been waiting for. Would you please stand for the gospel? A reading from the gospel of John. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Notice she didn't seat you. She just wanted to have you stand. 
Yeah, I know. I I'm coming to your house after church today. I'm coming to your house after church today. It'll be fun. Unless, of course, you needed to come to my house after church today, and then we'll meet in the middle. Okay, good. Yet, there's a long, Jeff, <laughs> there's a long way between now and after church. A long way. We're in a series right now called The Voice of Peace, and we're discussing how the season of Lent began uh, just after the Sunday of the Transfiguration. And so the last thing that we read before the season of Lent begins is, G is God saying to Peter, James, and John, listen to Jesus and him only. And then that's the last reading before Lent begins. And so Lent begins with us hearing the call, stop listening to so many things and listen to Jesus and him only. So Lent is a season to stand still, to take stock of where we're at, to think through how it's going so far, and to listen to Jesus in the middle of all the other voices that we hear. And we're calling them the or else voices, the voices that threaten us. Start doing this or else. Stop doing this or else. Be a better person or else. Parent better or else. Sometimes the or else voice comes as legalistic threat. If you would just behave better, if you would just read more, if you would just do different things, then all the things that you've ever wanted will happen. Sometimes the voice comes and it sounds like intercessory love. That's what we call temptation. And it says, if you're hungry, turn those stones into bread. God wants to feed you. Have these kingdoms. Know that God will protect you. Be reckless with your life. He'll protect you. And it's hard to discern this or else voice. It's kind of easy to discern when it's threat, but sometimes because of our worldview of God, we think that the threatening voice is God's voice. We think that the voice of ultimatum is God's voice. If you do, then I will. We think God says that. The if I do, then God will voice is the voice that makes Jesus turn around and say, get behind me, Satan. Because God's way is not if you do, then I will. God's way is because I did, now you can. It's never if you do, then I will. Because I don't know about your life, but in my life, if it was if you do, then I will, he won't. <laughs> and that would be the majority of the story. It's not if you do, then I will. It's because I did, now you can. It's the voice of peace. We need to recover the Christian conversation in our homes and in our hearts. So many of us are making so many decisions because they're practical, because they're in front of us, because we're aware of them, because they make sense. Long gone are the days where something good came into our life and we heard the Holy Spirit say, don't go after that thing, but God, it's going to be so good for me and my family. Watch what I do when you're willing to say no to something that appears good. It might not be as good as you thought it was, and the goodness of it may be something that distracts you forever. 
Does anybody remember laying things down that seemed really good because the Holy Spirit told you to take a stand on something else? And you had to walk away from things that made sense, that seemed good, that seemed right because you were standing on God's word and God's promise and the prophetic word to your life and not on what makes sense. We have to recover the Christian conversation. We're making a lot of decisions and we're not thinking about Jesus and his cross. Listen to this text from Deuteronomy. You shall therefore lay up these words, the words of God, in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, and when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord your God swore to your fathers to give to them as long as the heavens remain above the earth. Look, on a lot of, ho- on a lot of doorways in our homes, we, can, we have notches to show us how tall our kids got. Right? Theo was down here. Now he's up here. Sophia's up here. We have notches with dates to show us how tall our kids are getting, how much they're growing, but God is saying the notches on your doorway should be how much you've grown spiritually since you started walking with me. Can anybody walk into your house and say, wow, they've gotten bigger in the Lord? Wow, they're really growing up in their faith. They're less combative than they used to be. They're less judgmental than they used to be. Can somebody else see notched on the doorway of our home the notches of patience and peace and love and joy that are becoming ours because we are abiding in the vine and we are producing fruit in him? It's great to know how tall our kids are getting. But does our house spiritually and metaphysically Hold within it the notches of our maturity in the Lord. Are we going to bed talking about him, waking up talking about him, going on our lunch break talking about him? And I'm not, I don't mean that person at work who's always witnessing. <laughs> I don't mean looking for every opportunity you can to tell somebody else how wrong they are because A, that's not Christian, and B, that's not the gospel. I'm talking about in your life and in your home, Jesus is always talking and you're always listening and you're talking about him. Pastor Mark said this a long time ago in his Ephesians Bible study that he did. I think the title of it was The View From Here. It was one of my favorite teachings. And he said, Paul was one of those people where you couldn't talk about him for too long before you had to be talking about Jesus. Because he was so close and so engrossed and so filled with the conversation that God is having with Jesus through the Holy Spirit and that Jesus is having back with the Father through the Holy Spirit. That he was so involved in that conversation that if you were talking about Paul for more than five minutes, you were talking about Jesus. Is the conversation about God is, is, is Jesus our Lord and Savior, or is he our life coach? So much Christian preaching out there is life coach preaching with Christian terms thrown on it. And so many of us 
walk with the Lord like we're walking with a personal life coach. He's helping us make better decisions. He's helping us live well. But the reality is what he wants is he wants our life to be becoming. You could behave well and still be rotten. Anybody go to work and know coworkers that follow all the rules and they're rotten? Don't say amen. We're on the internet. Don't say amen. Just saying if you do, it's possible to follow the rules, to live well, and still not be becoming a Christ-centered human. That's what he wants for us, and that takes conversation. That means that when we're making life choices, the Bible, the church, people that God has put in our life, they're involved in that conversation. We're not just announcing that we've made life decisions to people and just basically broadcasting the news of our life. We are bringing people into our life because Jesus brings people into his. Even Jesus didn't go to Mount Tabor to be transfigured without Peter, James, and John. Even Jesus didn't go to Gethsemane without Peter, James, and John. Jesus didn't go to Gethsemane without saying, I need you to pray for me. If Jesus needs people to pray for him through a decision he's making in his life, how much more do we need people in our life to be a part of our decision making? What I want to talk about today, really quickly, Steph, you got to stop letting the Holy Spirit just do whatever he wants to do in a worship service. I'm just kidding. Everyone just got really mad at me for saying that. Stephanie, I apologize. I was just joking. You can let the Holy Spirit do whatever he wants. Remember I told you I have a five-minute sermon or a 50-minute sermon? It's always going to be a 50-minute sermon. It just doesn't matter. You could, you could, you could do the worship service right up to noon, and then we'll, we'll just leave here at 2. And nobody would complain because we can't give, we can't give God four hours. It's so exposing when you get mad at the clock. It shows priorities. Anyway, that's not what we're here to do. We're here to be playful. Jacqueline said to me before, she said, be playful and be lighthearted. So I'm trying. Pray for me. We're trying. We're talking about recovering mission. When, when we wake up in the morning in our home, I'm not talking about your marriage. I'm talking about your home. Wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever your station in life is, when you wake up in the morning, there should be a sense of calling and there should be a story in your life that is unfolding that you're aware of, where it originated from, what the Lord told you all along the way. If you read through the Old Testament all the time, whenever something happens, they, they put a rock down and they pour oil on it and they make an altar there. So that as they continue to travel, they keep bumping into these altars and they remember what God has said to them and they remember what God has done for them. And they remember the mission that they're on. So many of us are missionless. We're living to get to the end of the day. We're living to get through our to-do list. We're living to just try really hard not to suffer a whole lot during the day and get to evening okay. Some people call it we're living to just survive. Mission doesn't mean we don't go through those things, but mission means that those difficulties are encapsulated and contextualized by a story that God has in your life that's unfolding and it should have started before you. 
when God said to Abraham in our text, rise and go to Canaan, if you read the text carefully, just before that, it says this. Now, these are the generations of Terah, Abraham's father. Terah fathered Abram, Naor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Naor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Naor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Listen, Terah took Abram his son and Lot, the son of Haran. Now Haran was his son that died. And Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abraham's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of, where did God call Abram to go? Canaan. But who was called to go to Canaan first? His father. Abraham's father was called to go to Canaan first. But he didn't go, and here's why. But when they came to Haran, the place, they settled there. Now, why is that significant? Terah, Abraham's father, had a son whose name was Haran. Haran died tragically. Terah, Abraham's father, is trying to get to Canaan, where presumably God called him to go. But when he got to a land called Haran, which was the name of his son who died, he settled there. He couldn't move past the tragic death of his child. So what does God do? Terah, get over that. Get over the pain. What is wrong with you? You can't settle there. No, he says, you know what? That's where you need to be. Settle there. I'm going to have your son go the rest of the way. Somebody's got a funky ringtone there. Okay. And... (laughs) Terah couldn't go past. He got stuck in tragedy. And instead of scolding him for it, which God doesn't do, God just says, you know what? Your children will keep going where you couldn't have gone. Your story began with people who are not you, who wrestled and journeyed with God to a point, and now God is calling you to keep going. We need to know this because we need to have mission in our life. When I was growing up, my father was in a band, a worship band called Living Proof. Don't make fun of them. <laughs> they were very good. I grew up, I grew up watching my father get a whole bunch of people together, go to one of the gazebos at the local park, and play music and watch people get saved. I watched people at the park come to a relationship with Jesus while my dad and his friends from church were playing music. I was in the back seat of the car one day, and we pulled up to DNM Pizza in Peekskill. This is where it comes from, man. I got roots when it comes to pizza. <laughs> roots. DNM Pizza at the top of Depew Street, right next to Peekskill High School. And there was a person that was getting picked on who couldn't defend himself. 
They stole his glasses. I will never forget this. I'm watching all of these kids are in a circle around this one kid, and I, all I could see from my vantage point was him jumping up and down, yelling, give me my glasses. And they were throwing their, his glasses over him. My dad said, stay in the car. <laughs> got out of the car. Because this is on the internet, he got the glasses back and brought that kid to our house, and he had pizza with us. And he became part of the church's youth group. I grew up with mission already happening. When I was young, I had a lot of anxiety at night going to bed. And at this time, me and my sister Chrissy, we were sharing a room together, and we would listen to my dad's worship tape cassette, where you had to like, physically turn it to go to the other side? Like, who had time? <laughs> and in, in, and we would, we would fall asleep listening to his worship team play. I, I grew up listening to my Uncle Pete, who passed away years ago, sing One More Song for You by the Imperials. I could hear it. I could put myself there. This one song my dad used to sing, it had, I'm probably forgetting how the, the order of the lyrics, but it said something like, Calvary, oh Calvary, was it meant for him, was it meant for me? Calvary, oh Calvary, is that my cross he's taking to Calvary? And I was little, right? All I could do was receive that information through faith, but now that God has brought me to the place where I get to dedicate my life to this kind of studying, when I look back on that song, was Calvary meant for him, meaning Jesus, or was it meant for me? Is that my cross he's carrying to Calvary, or is it his? What I didn't know then that I'm learning now, but the information was going in because my parents talked about Jesus in the morning before bed, basically had Bible verses tattooed to our faces, what I didn't realize then was my father was singing about Simon of Cyrene, and he was saying, whose cross is being carried? Is Jesus carrying Simon's, or is Simon carrying Jesus's? And here's the reality. We don't know the answer to the question because Jesus's mission lined up with Simon's mission, and they became one mission. So we don't know whose cross it was. The point is they both had it. Mission. He was singing about mission. My father writes a letter probably 40 years ago to this church and says, I'd like my band to come sing there. Is Helen in the room? Helen got the letter and I assume, and let, let me, don't, don't fill in my gaps, let me tell the story. <laughs> I need to have the dramatic flair, obviously, thank you. If Helen Walker told me to do anything, I'd obey immediately, just so everybody knows. Helen Gums, I'm sorry, Helen Gums. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> she gave the letter to Pastor Phil, and Pastor Phil said, no, he cannot come play here. Now, Pastor Phil didn't know that the guy he just said no to's son would one day pastor his church, but that's an altogether different story. <laughs> Helen 
being administrative, took the letter and put it in a filing cabinet and closed the door for 30 years or however long it was, 100 years. My brother Frank, who plays bass here, Frank, say hello to everybody. Great guy, local guy. <laughs> Frank comes, and again, Frank, let me, let me tell the story. He came once and didn't like the church and said, I'm leaving and I'm not coming back. And he's walking through the parking lot. And Helen, who heard my brother's name, remembered the letter that our dad wrote and thought Frank was my dad. Hey, do you still play an instrument? Yeah, I play the bass. Let me introduce you to Pastor Mark. He's playing, what, 25, 30, 35 years later, you're still up here playing? Frank, who was about to leave, is now here because my dad wrote a letter years and years before and was told no. He invites me here in 1997. I thought it was all right. Wasn't quite up to my standards. As a 15-year-old, I knew everything. I came and went, came and went, back and forth, back and forth. And one day I said, I'm leaving. And I told that to my brother, and my brother said, no, you're not. God has more for you here. And shortly after, I became the youth pastor. Then, I was leaving again. And Frank's like, I don't want to have to beat you up. But you're not leaving. God has more for you here. And shortly after, I became the assistant pastor. Then, I wanted to plant the church, and I was talking about leaving again, and Frank said, no, you're not. I'm like, Frank, there's nowhere left to go. <laughs> Pastor Mark announces to the leaders that he and Danielle are leaving, that I was taking over the church, and I was sitting right about where Bill is right now. And my thought was, oof, I hope my brother doesn't leave. Because who wants their younger brother, who's more talented than they are, to be their pastor? Who wants that? <laughs> who wants that? So the meeting ends and everybody's talking and I see Frank leave, but I couldn't leave. I wanted to run out after him, but I couldn't leave because... Man, it was a tear fest. It was, it was such, a, such a long evening, and I finally am walking to my car afterwards, and there's Frank, leaning against my car, waiting. And he's like, see? <laughs> Mission. That story of me standing here right now doesn't happen if somebody doesn't write a letter to say, can me and my band come and play and get told no? I was talking to Ian on the phone this morning. And we were discussing this message. And we were talking about, we know, we know the stories, but we were saying Ian's mother lost her husband tragically many years ago and became a prayer 
warrior since then. And probably we're all okay because Sandy Z prays for the world. Ian is in the hospital one night having a liver transplant that could go one of two ways. And he has a moment where the Holy Spirit gets him born again, again, again. And we talk about, now, Ian, now that you have a family and you have kids and you have things going on rapidly, fast, all the time, how often do we stop? How often do I stop and think about my father saving David Brunty from bullies and draw strength from it now? How often do we stop and say, if one person doesn't write one letter and get told no one time, and if an amazing secretary doesn't have the administrative acumen to put that letter into a filing cabinet and years later remember, that's how thin it is for me to be here right now. How often do we look back over the story of our life and realize we're not arbitrary, random people just trying to get to Friday? We are people that are storied by the story of God every single day of our life, and we need to be drawing strength from that story. George and Cheryl get saved, and they call the church. Looking for a church. And there's a gentleman here whose name is Bob Costello. All he did, he ran a ministry that sent people from the church to other people's houses who just got saved. It was through TBN. So Pastor Bob sends a few people to George and Cheryl. George and Cheryl end up coming here and staying for a very long time. 1982, the year I was born. Bob Costello leaves here and goes to Peekskill and starts the Peekskill Assembly of God where my parents went when they got saved. So Bob Costello was my first pastor. And I had no idea that this is the man who just sent a couple of people administratively to the home of two people who would have a beautiful daughter named Jacqueline who I would one day marry and would pastor this church with me. Simple little administrative decisions in a world of mountainous stories are what held together the story that I'm living in today. But do we go back? When, when we are looking for a new job, when we're in a new relationship, when we're making decisions about where to live, what car to drive, how we spend our money, where we send our kids, how we, how we do what we do, are we drawing life from the mission that we're on, or do we just let it sit in the background? And maybe around Christmas time or at funerals, we think about it. Well, Pastor Bill, sounds like you got a lineage of a lot of Christian people who made a lot of really good decisions. Well, I didn't tell you the whole story, but also, you might be here saying, well, my parents, there's none of that story. They just messed up. If you're here saying that to yourself, look what God did anyway. No, 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 no. That's a point. You might be saying, it didn't go, I didn't have the pedigree that you have. You're here, though. 
So God either takes the glorious story of all these Christians making decisions in my life or the glorious story of people fumbling the football in your life and he gets you here because his story fills up our story all of the time. That's what he does. So maybe, like Abraham, we need to stop thinking about faith as if it was a coin, a transactional piece, and maybe start realizing what Jesus said about faith. If you have faith the size of a, not a mustard coin, we focus on the fact that it's a small seed. But that's not what we should focus on. Jesus is saying, and the, Hebrew, and the, and the Romans text I read is saying this. Faith is not transactional. Faith is not you having currency and you trade it in for something. Faith is a seed that grows in you over time. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. He said, if you had faith like a mustard seed. So there's something about the kingdom of heaven, which is our missional goal, and faith They're the same thing. We think faith is, if I have enough of it, I could get something to happen now. Boom. But faith is gardening, not transactions. Faith is something you put in the ground, not give to a cashier. Faith isn't about things happening fast. Faith is about things growing well. Brian Zod said this in his book, Unvarnished Jesus. Though we could speak of faith as doing the impossible, I think it better to talk about faith as becoming what we once thought impossible. Faith is not about doing the impossible. It's about becoming what we thought was once impossible to become. You, because of the word of God spoken into your life, can become more than you ever dreamt possible. When I look back at my story, this morning I read a devotional, and in this one chapter of the devotional, it was the prayer of a priest from 1875, and it was the, it was the day he got ordained as a priest, and he said, Lord, I finally am standing in what my soul has longed for. You might be like, cool. Cool, 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 cool. I read that and said, I stood here and got ordained so fast. And my first thought was, how do we get rid of $2 million of debt? You remember, Tim? <laughs> remember those meetings? It's like, uh, all right, so here's the deal. We have $2 million of debt and I don't got it. Does anybody have it? Let's put our dollars on the table. Okay, so no, we have about $86 here between the nine of us. It's not going to cover it. One thing to the next thing to the next thing to COVID. And it dawned on me this morning, I never sat back and said, I'm standing in the thing that my mom and dad told me in every terrible season of my life was still going to happen. Every roadblock every wall in the way of it, everything that could go wrong by my choice, by other people's choices, they kept saying it. And when I jumped in, the car was moving 100 miles an hour, and it took until this morning 
for me to stop and say, Lord, we did it. All that journal writing, all those prophecies, all the reminders, all the you're going to see this and you're going to see that and blah, blah. It just, it was just, I got to jump in and I got to keep things going. That's what I have to do. The to-do list overshadowed the moment where I was like, I'm part of a story that is dope. And so little of it has to do with me. The genealogy of this moment in my life is breathtaking. So when we go through a tough time, when finances get tight, when the kids won't sleep, when we're having trouble getting along and it's stressful at the same time, we got to start looking at those pillars that are built all down the corridor of our life and saying, look what God did every single time something got difficult. Look at what came to pass. This is going to come to pass also. We will walk through this. We will be okay on the other side of this. This won't have the final word. The good or the bad should not have the final word. The final word should always be Jesus. Let's stand to our feet this morning. What I want so bad is for you to leave here today. Imagine I stopped right there. <laughs> what I want so bad is for you to leave. What I want so bad is for you to leave here today. Go home and remission your life. Don't say, well, I got to figure out what God has for me. Don't start there. Go a generation and a half back. And just start looking through how you got to today. It's going to be tear-jerking. You're going to have moments of gratitude. You're going to have moments where you face some demons, some skeletons in the closet. But when you follow the line, the line is like the signature of Jesus, no matter what the story is. The line is already telling you what you're here for and what you're supposed to put all of your issues in. When you wake up on a Wednesday and you're like, how do I do this again? There's a story behind you regardless of what it is. Regardless of how long it is, regardless of what it's rated, regardless if Rotten Tomatoes thought it was a good movie or a bad movie. The story behind you is telling you in the tongue of your life what God has for you. We cannot walk away from all of the altars that have been built by us and by those who came before us. They have to have something to say today. You might think, I'm stuck in the tragic things that happened in my life like Tara. It's okay. You're not responsible for the mission. He's the alpha of the mission, and he's the omega of the mission. We just get to be characters in the middle of it. We're guy number three. We're on the stage with Jesus, supporting cast in the story that he's the author and he's the finisher of our faith. We do not bear the responsibility to start our calling or end our calling. We just get to live it and become in it. For what? I'm going to bless you. To what? 
to live a really good life, get paid a really good salary, put a lot of money away in retirement, have a really nice house so that you can tell everybody, if you do it God's way, look what happens. No! No! You're blessed to become a house for other people. You're blessed to become a place where other people are their best self in your presence. You could do that poor, you could do that rich, you could do that renting, you could do that in a trailer park, you could do that in a big house, you could do that in your car, you could do that riding a bike. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam, I am. <laughs> Come on, we got kids, man, we got kids, you know what I mean? It's not about your, your station in life, how much money you have, how organized your, the, the external reality of your life is. All that does is tell you the, how God wants you to be a house for other people. It just tells you the way into being a house for other people. You're not a better house for other people if you got it together or worse if you don't. If Jesus is the beginning and end of your story and the notches on your house are becoming the notches of your growth in the fruit of the Spirit, you are exactly what Jesus said when he said, I go to prepare a place for you. You are the place he went to prepare for somebody else. So I close with this quote from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs in his book, Lessons in Leadership. There are people who spend months planning a vacation, but not even a day planning a life. They let themselves be carried by the winds of chance and circumstance. That is a mistake. Go home and look at your whole life. And look at what God did to get you to today. And then join the illustrious work of that priceless story. It's not just about, oh, this great thing just happened to show up, and now we're doing this. No. Stand your ground. The next opportunity that comes your way, ask, does this fit the narrative of what God has been doing in my life? A lot of good things can come our way, but not everything fits the narrative of what God is doing in our life, the people he's planted us with. Like I said last week, the sermon ends with a comma, to be continued. Lord Jesus, on the night when you were betrayed, you did not lose sight of the narrative. You told your mission to Nicodemus as unpopular as it was, you told him that you came to be lifted up and he thought you were foolish. But you didn't entrust yourself to man, you entrusted yourself to the Father. Salem, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, didn't mean to make you stand this long, but Jesus said foolish things to Nicodemus in the text that Jacqueline read. And he didn't care that was his mission. He said the truth of what he was here for. When he died, Nicodemus took his body down off the cross. Nicodemus couldn't 
receive Jesus when he was alive, but received his dead body into his life and disqualified himself from celebrating Passover that night. See, we, when we're, oh, when we're not on our Christian mission, we walk away from things when they die. But when Christian mission fills your life, just because it's dead doesn't mean you walk away from it. Just because that vision that God gave you is taking a beating doesn't mean you walk away from it. Nicodemus saw dead Jesus and said, let's take care of this. But he's gone. Why lose your entire status over this? Doesn't matter. He was filled with such mission that he took care of a dead thing that didn't stay dead very long, did it? When we're listening to the or else voices, we walk away from things that don't work and try to find things that do. But when we're, when we're enmissioned by the mission of God, we have a tendency to stay next to things that seem like they fell apart and say, you might see this as having fallen apart, but what, come back in a year. Come back in 10 years. Come back in 20 years. Come back in eternity. This will not look like it does now. And I'm staying with it because God told me. Jesus did that at the Last Supper. Lord, you looked at the bread and you said, this is my body and it's going to shatter tonight. But it's going to shatter for you. And this is my blood that's going to be spilled tonight. But it's going to be spilled by you. And so, Jesus, I pray that we would have the vision to believe that this is true, that your Holy Spirit would descend on this bread right now and it would become for us the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him, and that somehow your Spirit would descend on us also and make us the body of Christ, bread for the world. When we leave here, let us be people that remind others that they have a story worth telling also. This bread is our weekly altar saying that even when it dies on Friday and remains dead on Saturday, Easter's going to happen to everything that has been ruined by sin and death. And in the place of death will spring new life. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. On this side of the room, Elder George will be here. On this side of the room, Elder Ron will be here. Would you please come and partake this morning? Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.